the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning a the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. We don't pay attention to what happens, what goes on, on the outside. We just do our job. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a trick move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. And it is Panhandle Sports Live for the 17th day of October 2023. I'm Luke Wiggs, Parker Stone, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg, West Virginia. Busy show today. Going to talk a little playoff soccer coming up here in just a little bit. We're going to be joined by Musselman head football coach Brian Thomas as well. And uh, we'll also recap another Monday night football matchup and uh, some and Major League Baseball postseason stuff as well. Parker Stone, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm That's doing good. To good to hear. Doing well. We uh, I don't think I've told the listeners this yet, but uh, this weekend's going to be a fun one. It's going to be my first NFL game and making the four-hour trip up to the Meadowlands. Going to be checking out my Giants playing the Commanders, and we just bought the parking tickets for that. Ooh, yes. How much are those? Yeah, man, about 60, that's 60 give or take, it is but it is. not too bad. It's better than trying to fight for an Uber at 10 o'clock in the morning and trying to get down to the stadium. So I'm excited for it. I've watched a couple of videos getting prepared and just some of the stuff I want to do in the stadium before we go down, but it's going to be fun. I'm really excited for this, it, for it being my first game for my favorite team. I, I can't be more excited about it. It's something that I've always wanted to do since I was a little tyke. So now I finally get the chance to do it. I'm, I'm really pumped up for it. Well, I'm excited for you, but I got to say this. Uh, I can only hold my rage so long because we've got some texts on ye old text line that we've got All to get right, to. All right, here we go. That deserves some attention. 304-263-4321 is the text line. Texts are always appreciated. Constructive criticism is always appreciated. But, folks, this isn't Steam Release. We're going to respond to the stuff that you say. Uh, this guy says, for the love of Pete... Will you guys please learn how the WVSSAC ratings work? It doesn't matter whether the teams you play are in or out of state. What matters is enrollment of the schools you're playing, their records against schools of equal or greater equivalent, SSAC classification, and how many games you play. This is all easily researched information. You guys presumably get paid to do this. The least you can do is try to understand what you're talking about. I resent the implication from the texture for a couple of reasons. We've talked about this point extensively. It's not just as simple as an in-state or out-of-state opponent, but what I have said and what I will continue to say is bonus points become a massive issue. You can't say with the straight face, and he sent us a link to a breakdown of how this classification gets scored or how the rankings get scored, that Martinsburg is not hurting in the ranking system. 
because they played out-of-state competition and are not getting the same bonus points from that out-of-state competition had they played an entire in-state schedule. That is the point that we have made from the start of the season until now. Yes, beating an out-of-state opponent that has the enrollment of a AAA school would count the same as beating somebody from the state of West Virginia. However, that is where the similarities end. Martinsburg does not get the same bonus points from beating Clarkson North of Canada as they would have gotten from beating Cabell Midland or Huntington or Morgantown or Wheeling Park or anybody else. That is the point that I have made this entire season, and that is the point I will continue to make. So I appreciate the text, but correct me if I'm wrong, Park. That's what we've been saying this entire season. Those wins hold up well in wins in and of themselves, but then you don't get the same bonus point opportunities as playing a team from West Virginia. Yeah, well, I mean, when you're beating a team like Clarkson North, that is one of the more renowned programs in the state of Canada, and you don't you get maybe as many points as beating maybe a Kaiser. No disrespect to the Golden Tornado, but it it, it should be weighted as a win against a high end AAA team is what is what we're trying to present. The fact that we think Martinsburg is getting kind of put to the side because the the power rankings and the playoff metric don't measure correctly the weight of wins against a quality opponent outside of the state of West Virginia. That's the issue we're concerned about right now. How how do we weight these wins against Clarkson North? Or well, here we go. Jefferson's a great example last week. They beat Millbrook. The Pioneers are a five and one football team. That they're probably not going to get a ton of points in the metric because of that because Millbrook is a team out of Virginia. And yeah, because m- they haven't beaten uh, Hedgesville, they haven't beaten yeah. Hampshire, they haven't beaten Morgantown, and they are not going to beat those teams because they don't play those teams. And this metric hurts the Eastern Panhandle the most because those are the schools that are playing the most out-of-state opponents because it's the most accessible. For Jefferson's sake, it's much easier to go play Sharando and Millbrook than it is to go play Spring Valley, than it is to go play a Hurricane. It's much easier to do those games. Those are quality opponents. We saw the Warriors knock off Jefferson in Week 2. Millbrook gave them a great game. Jefferson only won that by a touchdown. These are quality opponents, but the power ranking and the playoff metric is not valuing it because there's flaws in it with valuing out-of-state teams. That's the issue we've been talking about. Yeah, pretty much. That, that's pretty much all it comes down to. <laughs> so I appreciate the text, Texter, but I, I, I thought that we've made our point incredibly clear on this issue because I thought we had. Anyways, we've got another text uh, we've got to get to. We've got to talk soccer, and then we've got to get to uh, our first break. A question for Musselman, and I'm not going to ask this question verbatim to Coach Thomas coming up here in a little bit. I'm sorry. Uh, but who's going to be blamed for the for – the, or blame next for the lack of offense, the Texter says. Coaches have been fired. Kids have been blamed. Who is responsible for zero points uh, from the offense against Hedgesville? No disrespect for Hedgesville, who do have a very good defense, by the way. Their defense isn't on the level of Martinsburg, Spring Mills, Morgantown, or Cabell. Um, I don't know. Let me, I'd have to think about that. When you can't score points against Hedgesville, it's time to start looking at scheme and play calling, also personnel decisions. Um, this is the same team that scored 40 points week one. That's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know there are some key injuries, but there are no more excuses. Continuing to do what you did this week would be the definition of insanity. Put the right players in the right position and then put them in a position to succeed. I understand you had at least five kids taking snaps at quarterback this week and running backs playing receiver. Uh, I predicted this would happen when coach went into panic mode a few weeks back, and unfortunately I was right. A true shame for the seniors, uh, and then they say good luck at Jefferson. Um, In a roundabout way, I'm going to ask those questions to Coach Thomas here in just a little bit, but I think it's a fair assessment. But um, I do want to touch on this quickly because we do have to get to the first break. Um, It's playoff season now for soccer. 
Uh, and we've got sectional soccer play beginning tonight. I'm going to be at the uh, Jefferson-Hampshire game. That's going to kick off about 7 o'clock, so you're going to be able to find coverage of that on our Twitter page. We're on X, at EP Sports Network, and uh, hopefully we'll be in here tomorrow to break that game down as well. But we've got to get to this first break really quickly. When we return, we'll endeavor to be joined by Musselman head football coach Brian Thomas after this. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back, Panhandle Sports Live, this Tuesday edition. You heard it during the break. Our Panhandle High School football game of the week coming up this Friday night will be against Spring Mills and Martinsburg. Our coverage will begin at about 6.45. That game will kick off at 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be joined by both head coaches coming on a little bit later on uh, this week. Uh, Brian Thomas, busy man. He's a teacher. He's educating and shaping the young minds over at Musselman High School. So we weren't able to uh, get him on during the break. We'll see if we can link up with him in the next 15 minutes or so. But, uh, uh, you know, like I said, he's a busy man. He's, he's, he's working his full-time job. But I do want to continue the conversation about Musselman and kind of go back to what the texter said. And there's a couple of different ways to voice and talk about where Musselman is at at this point in the season. It's frustrating the way they started the year and the expectations that we had for them coming into the season. For them to start 2-0 and and put those points up on the board, I agree with the texture sentiment. 44 points against Hanley, and then they beat Loudon the week after that. Then they have four consecutive games against four top, what, seven, six teams in AAA, depending on where you really think Morgantown is. Excuse me. And then this win against Hedgesville. I, and it's really hard to dissect where the Applemen are at this point in the season. They're struggling to score. Obviously, their offensive struggles continue. Defensively, I thought they had turned a corner with the Morgantown and Spring Mills performances, but then they give up 84 points in two weeks. Um, although, obviously, the defense was center stage in this game against Hedgesville. And I, I don't really know what to say about this season for the Applemen. The lack of the offense does concern me. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I think the biggest blame for the season may just be that they've picked a really, 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 really tough schedule. I mean, if you were to substitute, and the Cabell Midland game was added late. Let me just say, I'm, I'm rambling here, that that Cabell Midland game was added late because of what was going on with the EPAC and scheduling and backloading your conference schedule. You know, this season would be different for Musselman if we were looking at them right now at 4-3 and three instead of 3-4, and four, had they not played a team like Cabell Midland and they played something somebody a little bit more middle of the pack. I don't know. Is that a fair assessment? They've gone through a lot. They've played multiple quarterbacks this season. They've had injuries on some pretty key skill position players. Um, but at the end of the day, Park, you can't deny the fact that if they win two of their remaining three games, they're going to make the playoffs. And even still, we've run the numbers. There is a chance, there is a chance that they could get in at 4-6. and six. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair assessment. We talked about the team they beat last week in Hedgesville. We made the case for the Eagles at their point in the season around maybe a week or two ago that their losses were quality losses. And I don't know if you're going to get more of a quality loss sheet on paper than Morgantown, Spring Mills, Martinsburg, and Cabell Midland. Now, those are four teams right now that are going to be within the top ten of the playoffs in Class AAA. With Martinsburg and Cabell Midland, a strong case to maybe be this year's uh, AAA championship game in Wheeling Island. That's a real po- strong possibility right now. And then again, a Spring Mills team that is on real pace right now to host in the first round. And Morgantown, who's just probably on the outside looking in on hosting in the first round, a couple things fall their way and they will host. But 
again, like you mentioned, it's it's been a tough year for Musselman. Some unexpected things happened. The quarterback situation didn't uh, go maybe to plan, maybe from how things were expected, and just some key injuries, most notably Isaiah Beard, who really took a step and was being that deep threat for the Appleman offense, and then really teams, I think, just keying in on Troy Woolston on defense, maybe having his issues to try and get things going where teams are really focusing in on him and maybe a struggle to find that second playmaker on the defensive end that is consistent. Yeah, and let's look at this Hedgesville victory then. I mean, it was still a game where the Appleman had 200 yards of total offense. It's not like they weren't able to move the football. They just struggled in the red zone. They ran for 111 yards. I've gotten a look, and if any Musselman fans, or Hedgesville fans for that matter, because I know that it was a controversial end of the game. For people that don't know, it was scoreless. The ball was snapped over. Uh, Dalton Harper said and returned for a touchdown by the Appleman of the last play of the game. I believe it was Colton Shelton that did it. Um, I've seen the play now from a pretty good angle, and it's still hard to tell. You know, Hedgesville fans would say, well, he kicked the ball forward. Uh, you know, Musselman fans are just saying, hey, we're three and four. If you were at the game and you got to see it, I mean, what was your opinion on what was a really hectic and crazy play to give the Appleman victory number three? And again, they've got three opportunities to win two games now, Jefferson, Washington, and Parkersburg, to get into the postseason. And as tumultuous as this season has been for the Appleman, to be there at this point in the season, I think, is all that you can ask for when you are handed such a really, really, really difficult schedule. Now, I mean, takeaways from this, maybe Brian Thomas would take one fewer of those teams off of his schedule, which is probably, again, what he was trying to do coming into the season before he had to add Cabell Midland. But, you know, in terms of adversity, they've seen a lot, and that's the thing. I mean, you don't want to play a Musselman team that has been through all of this this point in the season um, just because by way of the fact that this is a dangerous program and has been a dangerous program, despite the fact that they're not world beaters on offense right now. Um, well, here's a text that says, told you Musselman was overrated. Injuries or not, they always choke. Seen it for 25 years plus. After moving to AAA, they underperform. I don't know. Let me, let me, while I look at the Four Seasons page, if you wanted to expand on Musselman's chances of making the postseason. Well, the opportunity there for Musselman is absolutely there. Like you said, we ran the metrics and looked at the numbers for Musselman making the playoffs. And I think this boils down to, again, maybe the uh, drastic difference, I think we'll call it, between the top of the pack in Class AAA and everyone else. Because right now, a, four, a projected four and six Musselman team, if they win one out of their next three, are projected to make it in as the, as the 16 seed. With you got to remember as well, now the SSAC playoff format is factoring in strength of schedule to a degree. And like we mentioned, the four losses here, Morgantown, who's in the top 10, Spring Mills, who's in the top five, Martinsburg, who's in the top five, Cabell Midland, who's in the top five. Then that, like I said, the, the strength of schedule for Musselman is going to help them a lot. And then you got Parkersburg and Jefferson, too. Those are, again, Jefferson, a real strong chance that they host in the first round. And Parkersburg might be one of the first teams on the outside looking in of hosting in the first round. The strength of schedule is there. They just got to find a way if they piece a good quality win together. If they get two, absolutely they're in. Two of, the, two of these three wins towards the end of the season between Jefferson, Washington, and Parkersburg. They are 100% in the playoffs, but even one, they have a chance just because of the new strength of schedule metric that's brought in. But again, I want to point this out too, and this has a, this, put this on game of the week alert for next week if things fall a certain way. Let's just say for a hypothetical situation, if Jefferson were to top Musselman in Washington, who I think is going to beat 
uh, Hampshire this week because, I mean, let's be honest here, Hampshire and Berkeley Springs had a really competitive game for two and a half quarters, and I think Washington is much better right now than what Berkeley Springs is. No offense to the tribe, but that, that matchup would be projected against two, three, and five teams, and the loser of that game is probably dashed from playoffs. So I, I'm, I'm interested. Put put that on game of the week. Watch for next week. We'll keep an eye on that one. But for Musselman's sake, by going back to the conversation, 100%, it's still playoff hopes are alive, and the strength of schedule metric is going to help them a lot. And I'd like the texture to expound, and I'm not saying I disagree with you because I've only been in the panhandle for the last you know two years. And you can text us 304-263-4321. I mean, you go back through the history of Musselman and you see a perennial playoff team that, you know, wins home playoff games and struggles to win playoff games on the road. I don't know if I would necessarily call that choking because I've been around programs that would kill to make the playoffs every year and would kill to win a home playoff game every year like Musselman did last season against Wheeling Park. So I don't know. I I feel like choke is a bit of a harsh word. I mean, you know, Musselman's on the outside looking in and they have been for the last couple of seasons of the Martinsburgs, of the Cavill Midlands and the Huntingtons. I remember um, the last year that Musselman was really, really good was that would have been, what, 2018? And I remember them losing to Martinsburg in the postseason. And and you can help me out if you don't mind, Texter. That was the semifinals that they lost to Martinsburg because I remember them beating John Marshall in the first round, and then I think they played somebody from Charleston in round two. Maybe it was Ripley. Uh, And then they lost uh, to Martinsburg. But Park alluded to it. We're going to have an article coming out a little bit later on today. And I guess cover your ears if you're the texter that thinks that we don't know anything about the playoff rankings. Um, you know, messing around with the prognosticator and things like that and trying to project out what the postseason is going to look like. Our first run of the projections has Musselman in at four and six. And we talked about that, like Park alluded to. It goes Huntington, Martinsburg, Princeton, Cabell, Midland, Hurricane, Jefferson, Spring Mills, Parkersburg. Uh, those are one through eight. Nine through 16 are Bridgeport, Park South, George Washington, Morgantown, Oak Hill, Woodrow, Wilson, Wheeling Park, and Musselman. Four and six Musselman would get in over three and seven Capital, four and six University, four and six Spring Valley, but most notably five and five Brook, who just don't have the stronger of the schedules this year. Now, it becomes key, and I need to run these numbers again, and this is what we'll talk about um, uh, in the article. If University beats Oak Hill, which we were talking to a member of University's camp yesterday, and they go back to 5-5, five and five, are they good enough then to jump over Musselman? I still don't think so, but University seems to think so. So it, it, it kind of shows, I don't want to say how top-heavy AAA is, because you've got you know really quality ball clubs all the way up until about the 13 or 14 mark, and then there's a pretty mm, significant yeah. drop-off in terms of the rankings. No, I 100% think we can make an argument that right now Class AAA is very much top-heavy, and we can have a whole conversation about this on another day that – was it was it all because of maybe the transfer issues that were going on in the Kanawha Valley? Is that maybe what we've ran into is just some of the issues we've seen with Class AAA being top-heavy? Because we've seen teams like Martinsburg, Huntington, Cabell Midland have been dominant. Those are the three teams I think that have looked the most dominant throughout this year. I think Hurricane has re-entered the conversation by beating Cabell Midland this past week. Other than that, I mean, you got your Spring Mills, your Jeffersons, you've got teams like Morgantown, you've got teams in that nature that are right now vying for that opening round playoff game at home, and then maybe another tier of teams that are just trying to hang on right now, and then there's a just a massive drop-off of teams that are 4-6, and 3-7 and seven projection. And I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just a weak year for AAA as an overall unit where it's just top-heavy and the rest are just middle of the pack and maybe behind the middle of the pack, or if it's just – 
how much of transferring has really affected this coming into this year? Is it because it does it fall on the class of freshmen coming in? Does it involve some of the maybe rising sophomores that became juniors, maybe weren't projected to be as good as maybe coaches thought they were coming into this season? There's there's a bevy of things that could result maybe why things are a little top-heavy right now in Class AAA, but it, that's a that's a wonderful conversation we can have one day, but there's a, there's a lot of reasons I think we could maybe point to say, okay, here's three uh, nine and one teams and here's 14 four and sixes so that's that, to close the book on that yeah there's many reasons why that could be a case uh got a text from brian thomas something came up uh that had to deal with his uh his school duties so we, we, we more than understand and uh, we'll try to have him on a little bit later on in the week uh before we go to break though uh, i i'd like to uh, get some thoughts from the text line by the way texter responded uh look at who they play uh hedgesville has not been very good for the last 15 years plus Spring Mills usually isn't very good. Washington isn't very good. Jefferson usually isn't very good, except for that. I, I think that's a little bit of a generalization. Yeah. If you're decent, you make the playoffs four and six gets you into the playoffs question mark. That's laughable in itself. And again, I'm not, uh, that's not me saying that they deserve to get in at four and six. That's just what the numbers are saying. Uh, you have a heartbeat and you make it. That's a pretty good line. We've seen that before in AAA, but that's the issue with, with 32 teams in AAA. Half of them have to make the playoffs. It might not remind you next year this is going to get sliced into four classifications, so keep that in mind. Uh, and it's going to be a mess. So I think I, I think what the texture's trying to say, and it comes off a little bit insulting to the EPAC <laughs> because the EPAC is, is better than he's giving credit for. I think what he's saying is in years past, these teams haven't been very good, so Musselman's had an easier conference schedule and they've been able to use that to get into the postseason. So I, I understand that sentiment, Texter. Um, but now it's an opportunity for Musselman to kind of prove and, and buck that trend because the EPAC's a lot better than it was five years ago. You know, uh, 15 years ago, Spring Mills and Washington weren't even here. And now they're both here, and one of them is a top-six team at AAA. But I understand the sentiment. I, and I'd like the Texters to respond to this question uh, as we go into a break. Um, and when we come back, we'll turn our attention to a little bit more of a national focus. Uh, if Musselman just somehow, just just humor me, are able to win two of the next three games. Let's say that they beat, um, let, let me think. Let's say Washington and Parkersburg. Yeah, I was going to say Washington and Parkersburg, sure. Uh, is the season in some weird way a success? Because we've got a lot of Appleman fans that listen to the show, and this is, uh, um, and this is uh, a part in the season where you know expectations have certainly been dashed. If Musselman runs, it wins two of their next three games, gets back to five and five. Would you say that uh, this would be a little bit of a salvage to the season? You get into the first round of the playoffs, you're absolutely going to be on the road. You're probably going to lose in round one. But is there something to be salvaged there? Because one of our textures keeps talking about, well, you know, what about the seniors? You know, the seniors deserve better than this. Would you say in your estimations to those of us, or those of you listening on the text line, that that would be, in some essence, Musselman saving their season? You can text us 304-263-4321. We've got another break to take. When we return, we'll listen back to some of the highlights of Monday Night Football and the Major League Baseball action that happened as well. As you're listening to Panhandle Sports Live on the Panhandle News Network. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Want to join the conversation? Tweet your thoughts on today's show at EP Sports Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchville building. Panhandle Live coming up, top of the hour. We're going to be joined by Martinsburg City Manager Mark Baldwin, uh, along with Katie Morgan of Berkeley County Re- Recovery Resources. And a little bit later on, we'll have another Apple Harvest guest 
as it's uh, getting to be apple harvest time. In fact, it kicked off last week, and uh, we'll have some more apple harvest-specific guests coming up in the uh, next couple of days on Panhandle Live, which again comes up at about uh, 9.05. We turn our attention to Major League Baseball and what was a uh, bit of a lopsided game in both games. Late comebacks from both teams that were repelled well. We'll start by uh, breaking down this Texas call. 5-4, to four, they beat the Houston Astros yesterday. Um, and let's listen back to some of the highlights because it was 5-1 to one at one point and uh, a, a pretty solid performance from Jonah Heim, who hit a home run to make it 5-1 to one at the time. And here's how the call sounded on KRLD. 44% of the Rangers' hits were for extra bases. And here's another one. A drive to deep left. See you later. Over the Crawford boxes. Jonah Heim provides that first extra base hit, his first career postseason home run to give Texas a 5-1 to one lead. And a lot of key moments in this game, including Nathan Avaldi having to work out of a bases loaded jam. He talked about that after the victory. Yeah, I mean, it's tough right there in that situation. Um, they pitch hit for Diaz. Um, I know he's been aggressive, and I was able to make some good pitches, make, make him expand. And then, you know, obviously Altuve's had a lot of success against me in the past. And I feel like our earlier at-bats today, I was missing effectively to where it kind of set up that moment. Um, once I got him ahead when I was ahead one two and I went with the high fastball and been able to follow it up with the splitter it was you know you're close but you're not out of the woods yet because Bregman's equally as talented and um you know I was able to make a good pitch right there and get us out of that jam and I felt like that was one of the turning points of the game so Evaldi goes six innings he gives up three runs or three earned runs and strikes out nine solid performance for the Rangers you got a solid pitching performance in uh, round one we'll talk about the second game here in a second the thing that concerns me about the Rangers is the same thing that'll concern me about the Phillies is I I, I think their bullpen's not where they want them to be at this point in the season uh, but starting with Texas they did enough to get the job done and take a two to nothing series lead and uh, you know now it would be a miracle if they were to blow this series I think they're in a very good position yeah the Rangers are good man. Rangers solid this is a this is a team that is looking really good right now, playing really great baseball. Again, undefeated still. They have not lost a game in this playoffs. They've won four, five, six, seven. They've won seven straight games, uh, and they're just looking good. They're looking really good right now, and right now they might be the favorite to win it all, and that would be, I believe, the first World Series for the Rangers in their history if they're able to pull this off, which, again, I'm always for. I'm always rooting for a team that – if they can get their first championship, I think that would be fantastic. Granted, we can make the funny excuse that, well, the Rangers absolutely bought a World Series championship. But I, I, it would be fun to see some of these players win, win one, being uh, Marcus Semien, being Adolis Garcia. And I know the Rangers have suffered for a while. They had some really bad years. But things are taking an uptick. They look really good right now. And they've got a real chance to, again, close this thing out, barring a monumental comeback from the Astros. But... Again, if there's a team in baseball that's going to do this, it's the Houston Astros. So we get uh, be trepidatious with Houston if they make this a series potentially. But right now, the driver's seat is firmly with the Texas Rangers. A 5-3 to three victory for the Philadelphia Phillies to take the first game of the NLCS against the Arizona Diamondbacks. What was a really hype pitching matchup between Zach Gallen and Zach Wheeler. My boy Gallen did not perform well. And Zach Wheeler struck out eight going six innings and allowing two runs. There were three solo home runs hit by Philadelphia Philly players in this game. Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, and Nick Castellanos. Let's hear all three as they sounded on ESPN Radio. Schwarber climbs in and we're ready to go. The pitch. Swing and a drive. Right field. Way back. And gone. Off the scoreboard and right. 
A Schwarbaum, no doubt about it. Kyle Schwarber, first pitch of the game with a rocket to right. one nothing Phillies, and this place has come undone. Speaking of no doubters, here's Bryce Harper. The pitch. Swing and a high fly ball drilled right center field. Way back. Gone! Bryce Harper, a solo homer, and the Phillies lead it two to nothing as he circles the bases, and they're going crazy here at the bank. Next offering, drilled right field. Going back is Carroll at the wall, and it's gone! Over the high wall and right, Nick Castellanos is red hot. And the Phillies lead it. It is 3-0. An oppo homer for Castellanos. And after the game, Rob Thompson talked about the momentum the Phillies are playing with in the postseason. Everything's about momentum this time of year, you know. And and these Arizona's really good at, at creating momentum and then keeping it. So that's one of the things we need to do is, is get momentum, keep it, don't let them back in the game. And again, my concern with Philadelphia is unearned runs that were attributed to the Diamondbacks late. They rallied late. They had an opportunity with a tying run on base late in this game to come back. They lose 5-3. to three. Philadelphia's bullpen's been an issue for a couple of years. If something's going to keep them short of making a run for a World Series championship, I really think it's going to be the arms in the back of the pen. Just the Phillies pen in the back. You got to figure a thing out for there. But again, that's an offense. That's how the Phillies are made. It's the offense that powers them with Turner, with Harper, with Cassianos, with Schwarber. It's guys that are just power power bats and great middle infielders like Bryson Stott, like Alec Bohm. It's a it's a team that's looking close to complete right now. For the pitching wise, you got Wheeler, you got Nola. Those are your two aces. And then after that, then maybe there's some question marks here and there, but. It's always like this with the Phillies. They always get hot at the right time. They're hot once again. They were in the same position last year, made a miracle run, got to the World Series, and almost won it all. And it looks like they're about to do it once again, get back to the World Series. They looked really dominant. Again, it's an Arizona Diamondbacks team where a lot of these guys have not had that deep playoff experience before. You look at this team, they've had really, they've been in a rebuild for a majority of some of their parts. So I'm interested to see how things turn for Arizona. It's been a great season for them as they've been taking that step, building blocks and bringing things together for their organization. And still, I mean, we talked about the Orioles at length being a team for the future. This Diamondbacks team is really a team for the future as well. You look at Corbin Carroll. You look at Christian Walker. You look at Zach Gallen. They got Drew Jones, who's going to be coming up. He's one of, going to be one of the top ten prospects in baseball probably next season. He'll be he'll be up and coming for the Diamondbacks at some point. It, it's a it's a D-backs team that's going to be really good in the future years. It's just maybe the playoff experience of the Phillies, like we mentioned is going to maybe win them this series. But again, the power bats are there for Philadelphia. They're playing good baseball. Getting game one win is also very, very important. Texter says, am I the only one who wants to see Bryce Harper get a World Series ring? Yes. Well, they already got one. I I don't want to see Bryce Harper get another World Series ring. I'm not a Bryce Harper fan. I'll get that out of the way real quick. He's been exciting to watch this postseason, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you something that drives me crazy, and this is not an indictment of uh, Philadelphia fans as a whole, although it could be. Um, he hit that home run. What was that? The first inning. We we just played the highlight, and uh, people started tweeting out. I don't know if you saw it on on X because that's where all the geniuses in sport live. Um, that at what point do we have the conversation that Bryce Harper's had a better career than Mike Trout? Which sent me because there is no way that those two players are comparable throughout their careers. Um, but no, I, I I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a huge Bryce Harper guy to be completely honest. 
with you. I, I I see. Never get is what he meant to say. Never get a World Series ring. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm not interested in having a lot of success there in the Harper household. But give me the chaos. Give me an Arizona Texas Rangers World Series. Oh man, that's gonna that's gonna be bad for everybody out here. That's, <laughs> get ready for ten o'clock games, everybody. Have fun. <laughs> well, that or they're gonna have to make them have first pitches at like three o'clock out there. Which it's is going to be like eleven stink. in the morning over yeah, there. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be it's going to be it's going to be brutal. But um, anyways, well, those two teams rematch again today: the Diamondbacks um, and the Phillies. First pitch at eight o'clock uh, coming up this evening. Also, last night, overshadowed by Major League Baseball, I said in on uh, all earnesty, mostly because I didn't have any fantasy football implications, that I didn't watch a single minute of Monday Night Football because I was too caught up in watching the Phillies game. Uh, but I woke up and kind of caught the the highlights and the the recaps of it to see that it was a pretty quality game. Tied going into the fourth quarter, 10 apiece, and uh, the Cowboys in the fourth quarter were able to outscore the Chargers 10-7, to and uh, the Cowboys improved to 4-2 and on the season. Before we get Parker's thoughts, uh, let's listen back to two of the key plays from that game. Uh, Brandon Cook's two-yard touchdown reception that made it 7-10, to uh, and then the late field goal on 105-3, the fan in Dallas from Brandon Aubrey, that ended up being the game-winning field goal at the time. Second and goal at the two. What do you like? Uh, no, I just said there's always the toughest play call to me on second down. Do you run it, figuring you'll get three more cracks, or are you going to throw it? Good block in the backfield. Prescott left side of the end zone. Brandon Cox caught it. Touchdown. So Aubrey with 2.23 to go is going to try a field goal of 39 yards. His kick is away, and the kick is good, and the Cowboys lead with 2.19 to play. By a score of 20 to 17. Takeaways from this game are plentiful. Uh, you had talked about not having a favorable opinion of Justin Herbert after this game. My question continues to be, how in the world is Brandon Staley still an NFL head coach? I, I, again, pushing the narrative, Justin Fields is a social media quarterback. Herbert. I, what, what did I say? Justin Fields? Yeah. Oh Justin Fields is also a social well, media Well, yes, he's also a social media quarterback. Justin Herbert is a social media quarterback. I, I He's a little overrated, and I think we need to kind of have that conversation. He hasn't won a big game in the NFL yet. He's yet to prove that he's on the level of a guy like a Joe Burrow, like a guy like a Trevor Lawrence who won a big game, and he's been in those situations where he had his team close. Like I, I think even right now, Tua Tagovailoa is better than Justin Herbert. It's just... I, I understand why people think Herbert's good, and I'm I'm not saying that he's not. The talent's there. He's got a fantastic arm. It's just I think for what he's being surrounded by, and yeah, I think this also goes on an indictment on the coaching staff for the Chargers. Brandon Staley is not an NFL head coach. He's a really good defensive coordinator. He's not a head coach. But for their sake, for the Chargers, now it's really a time where you got to try and turn this thing around. You got to find production from anybody other than Keenan Allen right now. That's really the only guy showing up on this team. Quentin Johnson was only targeted twice. You've got to get him going. And Josh Palmer being that number two option, he's been okay. But again, they they got to find something else for them. Austin Eckler comes back, has an okay game if you want to call it that. But I think mainly the biggest story in this game was C.D. Lamb finally got hot for the yeah. Cowboys, and I was waiting for that to happen. I, I had a good feeling about it. The Chargers are one of the worst pass defenses in the NFL right now. Good to see CeeDee Lamb get hot, and now the Cowboys are going to go into their bye week with their fourth win of this season, still looking really good, a game behind the Eagles in the NFC East, and those matchups are going to be really important, I think, in the NFC playoff picture for the Chargers. they got to find a way to get it going because right now they're going to be in a situation they're going to have to really rally 
because you see the Jets are back up to 500. Teams are playing really good football right now, and the AFC is deep. I had a whole diatribe yesterday on why I think the AFC North is the best division in football right now. You've got the Ravens that are playing great football, the Steelers, Malby in an offense that is anemic. They have a defense that is one of the best in the league right now. The Browns are not getting enough love right now. Their defense is top five in the NFL right now. They just now. won a game with P.J. Walker. And they, just won, and they just beat the 49ers with P.J. Walker. So that gives you any indication of how good that defense is. And then you've got a team in the Cincinnati Bengals that are starting to reheat themselves once again and get back in the conversation for the playoffs. So, again, the Chargers got to piece it together or else they're going to miss the playoffs. And then I'm sure that will be Brandon Staley's head if they miss the playoffs. Well, and what does this mean all of a sudden for myself as a Raider fan and what's going on uh, in the AFC West? Because the Raiders are in second place. I was about to say they're second. Yeah, they're three and three. The Chargers are two and three. And uh, the, the Broncos are a laughable one and five. I talked about the Raiders being a team that I'd love to see trade Jimmy G for a second-round pick and tank. All of a sudden, they've got an outside shot to make the postseason, especially when they have more divisional games incoming against mediocrity because they've been able to beat the Chargers in years past, uh, despite the fact that Justin Herbert, like you mentioned, is supposed to be, in the eyes of Charger fans, a top-five quarterback in the NFL, which is certainly not the case. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a wild concept that – you know, have how many seasons are we into Herbert's career? What is this? His third season. This is fourth, your four. fourth season. Your four. And what do they have to show for? Absolutely not. What do they have to show for Keenan Allen being a top what fifteen wide receiver in the NFL? Austin Eckler being a top five or six running back in the NFL. You know, quality production from their tight ends through the years and Cook and Henry and whoever, and a defense that has Bosa on it and uh, Khalil Mack. I mean, they have nothing to show for. <laughs> I'll say this Justin Herbert turns 26 this upcoming March he'll be going into year five after that what what has he done besides put up some decent throwing well and stats? then what are the charges going to have to do when they have their sideline they have to pay him a 200 million dollar well they already paid him they gave him an extension um, over the, two. how long was that though I, I mean, think it's a it's either a four or a five year I think it's like 250 million dollars so his contract's going to be up right in the next couple of seasons and they'll have to extend him again or not I guess and I here's the know. thing Keenan Allen's on the in the twilight of his career right now he's yeah. got maybe two well and Eckler doesn't have a great shelf life either because no, he, he's, tw- I mean, he's 28 29 exactly, right now which yeah. is the end of the life for a running back Mm-hmm. So it's it's gonna be it all depends on the Chargers drafting if they do not get Quentin that's why I've I've kept saying this they've got to get Quentin Johnston going and they got to find if they have anything in Josh Palmer because now you got Mike Williams I don't expect him back next year for the Chargers I think he was an impending free agent I don't see Mike Williams coming back to the Chargers and they got to find out if they have something in Quentin Johnston if they have something in Josh Palmer or else it's just going to it's not going to be pretty with the Chargers and again it's an older defense Khalil Max surely in the twilight of his career Joey Bosa can't stay healthy for his mm-hmm. life to save him and other than that you you absolutely folded and busted with the signing of JC Jackson who you had to ship back to New England for a bag of chips and a penny where are you going to turn? It's just bad management decisions, and it, again, it'll probably cost Brandon Staley his job at the end of the year. And remember when Derwin James was the best at his position in the NFL? Talk, talking about somebody else that can't stay healthy. Uh, and remember two years ago when the Broncos traded uh, for Russell Wilson, and we thought that this division was going to be a super or a, a, a juggernaut, and still the Chiefs' division, and still the Chiefs. Well, it was funny the year after they did that that the Raiders had the season that they did and mm-hmm. beat the Chargers, and the Broncos weren't any good. I don't know. It's crazy. So back to that extension for Herbert before we wrap that up. Five yeah, yeah. years, $262 million that was signed this past July. Oh, okay. I thought it was two years ago. My mistake. Five years so he's, he's he's got another four years of that. So he'll be with the Chargers until he is, I believe, either 30 or 31. <laughs> Do that with what you will. And you don't even own your own stadium, Charger fans, if there are any Charger fans. I was about to say, aren't. do they exist? I don't think they're a thing. 
they just kind of grab people off the street in Los Angeles and say, hey, here's a jersey and a ticket to a football game. All right, we got another break to take, and we've got a very special, as you know, edition of Parker's Picks coming up on the other side as you're still listening to Panhandle Sports Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Mix up your sports coverage with Panhandle Sports Live. Heard on the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. Luke Wiggs and Parker Stone hanging out with you here, broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival uh, building. Final segment on a Tuesday, and that means a couple of things. First of all. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, so Monday Night Football slate last night. We ended up going two for three. Dax, lock of the day hit for us. We went 225 plus. He was able to hit it. I think, yeah, he was able to hit the actual prop as well. I think it was set at 257. He goes for 272. CD Lamb, I told you, told you, told you to go over on him. He was due for a big game, and he absolutely did. Over five catches, we picked that for him. Over his receiving yards, he got 117. And then, sadly, we couldn't able to get Quentin Johnston's over on receiving yards. He was unable to get anything on two targets. I, I was hoping this could be a game he could show something and maybe take that next stride forward. But if you're – and also, as a Quentin Johnston uh, fantasy owner, and if you are also a Quentin Johnston fantasy owner, weren't expecting something for him – I think he's more of a long-term play. I, he, I, he's also very raw. He's very raw. He's got to develop a route tree. He, and this is he probably wasn't supposed to be playing this much this early. With he was supposed to be an understudy for Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, learn under those two guys, and then maybe get ramped up in year two and year three. But with it being, you look at your calendar, you see what day it is, and you know what time it is. It is time to bring the thunder, and it's sad to say. Oh, you're this, far. <laughs> this far, this far. It's sad to say we're, we're slowly running out of Dinger Tuesdays for this year. But with the NLCS going on today and the only action going on against Diamondbacks, it's Phillies. We had the Phillies get a little home run happy yesterday. So why don't we turn to the Diamondbacks for a Dinger today? And we go with Christian Walker. Christian Walker is our pick today to go get a home run in that matchup against the Phillies. And the Diamondbacks are going to try and make this a series. I got Christian Walker hitting a home run today. Also, we got a little bit of football going on today. So I got Liberty. The Flames are undefeated right now. They take on Middle Tennessee at home. I got them on an alternate spread, minus 9.5. I think they win this game by 10. The spread is set at, the regular spread is minus 14.5 right now. I like them on an alternate spread. It's minus 210 odds. And I'm 9.5. It's a safe one. I think Liberty is able to win by 10. And also, I got the under 59.5 total points in the Western Kentucky-Jacksonville State matchup. It's our guy, Devin Lynch, versus, well, WB's former guy in Rich Rodriguez. So, <laughs> for uh, for this game, I mean, it's two good offenses. Jacksonville State's got a good rushing attack. Western Kentucky's got a really good passing attack. I think that this game, these two are going to clash against each other. Maybe the defenses show up and play good as well. I got 60. Because high. 60 is really high for a matchup. I'm going to go under on that one. So, again... Christian Walker, our Jinger Tuesday pick for today. We got Liberty minus nine and a half on an alt spread, and we've got under 59 and a half total points in Western Kentucky and Jacksonville State. Man, shout out to Jamie Chadwell's boys. They're having a heck of a season, aren't they? Uh-huh. Uh, and, and I just checked, and I appreciate you bringing up the Devin Lynch connection. Um, 11 total tackles through the first five games that he's played in Western Kentucky for Devin Lynch. 
Redshirt junior, so uh, he's got another year. Yeah, he's got another year, and uh, I, I think he's quite the talent. He's wearing fifty-one. That's a gross number to see Devin Lynch wear out there. Yeah. Fifty-one. I don't know. I don't know about all that. All right, well, that's going to do it for this uh, edition of the show. By the way, I was able to touch base with Brian Thomas. Just wasn't able to come on today. He had some school responsibilities, so we're going to record an interview with him this afternoon and uh, hopefully play for that or play that for you a little bit later on in the week. You're not going to want to miss tomorrow's show uh, because we're going to be joined by Brian or Brian Walker, Dave Walker of uh, the head coach of Martinsburg Football, and we're also going to talk a little bit Mountain State Derby, a little college soccer between WVU and Marshall. That's going to be a ton of fun. But for Luke. For Parker, I have been Luke Wiggs. Man, it's not my day. You need, some, just you not need something, day. man. You need an energy drink. I'm going to go run some laps in the parking lot. All right, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.